0: This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, dissident movements. We'll hear about a crackdown on anti-Castro groups in Cuba and learn about the student movement that is sweeping Chile. But first, Vanessa Jesus-Gonzati has our weekly review of news from around Latin America.
1: The issue that involves 12 members of the Secret Service in a prostitution scandal in Colombia is still going strong in Washington. The Secret Service announced this week that all involved have been dealt with. Eight were forced out, one stripped of his security clearance, and three cleared of wrongdoing. Another dozen military personnel are also implicated in the scandal. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta says they have all had their security clearances suspended. He says that when the scandal broke, the members of the military were restricted to quarters and ordered not to have contact with other people. Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano says the allegations are inexcusable, but she has full confidence in Director Mark Sullivan.
2: The director took immediate action
0: to remove the agents involved and a full and thorough investigation is underway
1: to determine exactly what transpired and actions we need to take to ensure that this kind of conduct doesn't happen again. The White House says the actions of those punished is inappropriate and unacceptable for people representing the United States abroad. In yet another investigation, the Secret Service is now looking into new allegations that its members paid for sexual favors and strippers prior to a presidential visit to El Salvador last year. Mexico says it will start an investigation on allegations that the Mexican unit of Walmart stores bribes officials to expand its business there. The Mexican Federal Comptroller's Office says it has started going over the paperwork and permits that Walmart in Mexico, known as Walmex, obtained to open and operate in the country. Walmart already faces criminal investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice over charges of violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, a law that forbids bribing foreign officials. If the Comptroller's Office establishes that the law was broken, it could suspend any public official that might be involved, and then the Attorney General's Office could launch a criminal investigation. Central American experts say that the drug war issue is much more complex than what usually makes headlines. Julie Lopez of Plaza Pública in Guatemala says the topic is not whether or not to legalize drugs, but to address corruption. Carlos Dada, founder and editor of the El Faro website in El Salvador, says the problem is that the system itself is still too weak. Clearly, uh, our our region has been misunderstood, I believe, not only by the United States
0: authorities, but, I mean, since our peace agreements in 1992, we have received very little attention from the rest of the world. Now they are forced to look back at the
1: region because of the big... uh, uh, drugs issue, the drug organization's issue. They agree that both the local political systems and the United States need to fight against organized crime on many levels in order to help overcome the issue. High-profile drug trafficking suspect Walid Macled says he has ties to a former justice from Venezuela's Supreme Court. Macled claims that he gave monthly payments of approximately $70,000 in total to Judge Eladio Aponte. The drug suspect's statement comes a week after former Judge Aponte accused Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez of asking him to manipulate court cases pending in the Supreme Court. Venezuela's National Assembly dismissed Aponte in March, accusing him of ties to Magled. He fled Venezuela last week for Costa Rica, and officials say he is now in the United States. Chavez called Aponte a criminal and denied all allegations. MacLeod was captured in Colombia in 2010 and extradited to Venezuela, where he said that he made monthly million dollar payments to a group of more than 40 government officials and military officers. Chavez denies any link to MacLeod. Chavez just went back to Caracas after his latest radiotherapy treatment in Cuba. And Vanessa Jesus gonzati reporting for Latin Pulse.
0: Thanks, Vanessa. This week, Cuban activist and blogger Yoni Sanchez wrote in the New York Times about another denial for her request to leave the island nation for a trip, the 19th such denial in the past four years. Earlier this month, Amnesty International issued an alert noting the Cuban government had arrested at least 43 government critics in the province of Santiago de Cuba. Some believe the Cuban government's latest turn against dissidents began before the trip of Pope Benedict XVI to the island and has continued intensifying. So this week we reached out to the Cuban Democratic Directorate, or the Directorio Democrático Cubano, a human rights group based in Miami, aimed at supporting Cuba's democracy movement. The directorio also operates AM and shortwave radio operations, beaming programming to Cuba. We caught up with the directorio's national secretary, Orlando
3: Gutierrez-Bornat, via Skype, to
0: discuss the latest from Cuba. Rick, I think
3: there's two ways of looking at the papal visit. One is uh, an outside in view uh, from outside Cuba, seeing the papal visit as taking place within a context of, of this plain permanence of this half-century-old dictatorship. Or you can take an, uh, an inside-out view, which is to look at things from inside Cuba and what's deeply really going on inside the island. The paper visit takes place within the context of heightened, active resistance on the streets to the Castro regime in the past 18 months. Uh, Over that that time period, hundreds of Cubans across the country have carried out demonstrations in the streets of of the island, something which has very little precedent in Cuba because of repression. And these demonstrations are the result of, of a resistance movement that is stronger and is challenging the regime's control of population. Uh, so the regime felt prompted to carry out no less than twelve hundred arrests before the people visit, because they know they have a, a serious threat from this peaceful movement inside Cuba.
0: I, I think that that we see a variance in numbers. Different human rights groups reporting different numbers, but all seem to be in agreement that that repression has been stepped up. Your point of view is that is that the regime itself is is faced with with more people coming to it. No surprise that within the past two weeks, the Organization of American States issued its report about uh, free expression and liberty in the americas and of course, Cuba gets the lowest scores in the hemisphere so um what what is being done in miami? What is being done hemispherically to point these things out and to Uh, have a discussion about what can be done
3: uh, on the island?
0: Or can anything be done?
3: Well, I think that what can be done is that change is underway in Cuba. It's change that is driven by a grassroots, peaceful, nonviolent movement which wants a true transformation of the country and for Cubans to have the right to freedom and democracy. This movement, which is inside Cuba, and it's made up by Cubans who are in the island, needs international support and international solidarity. I think that sadly enough, we're living at a moment in time when democratic values and ideas are in a crisis in Latin America, we see that uh, there are a series of South American governments who are moving towards more authoritarian means in their own country, in their own countries. But we also see that those who have democracies are very fearful of supporting and defending their own principles. Uh, the effects of Chavez's bullying at the regional level, have been devastating for democracy in Latin America. Chavez has poured his money into supporting every authoritarian movement he can find in the region, right or left. And, uh, you know, the, the moral ambivalence, to say the least, of Alula towards hardcore dictatorships like Iran and Cuba um, and, you know, the outright corporatist authoritarianism of, of Kirchner in Argentina have really created a crisis in the region of, of democratic values. Um so we're seeing that in the some of the, uh, the Americas that took place last week in, in Colombia and in Cartagena, uh we saw that this this movement led by Chavez and by Correa in Ecuador, who's another wannabe authoritarian, to include the Castro regime in the summit, although it complies with none of the democracy and human rights standards that the region has fought so hard to achieve. Faced by this, uh the activist groups in the outside Cuba are telling the latin american region and they're telling the pope also that you can't ignore the struggle for human rights in Cuba and you can't ignore that there are thousands of Cubans in the island who are enduring beatings and imprisonment and even death because of their commitment to those same fundamental universal values that the rest of the civilized world holds as, as essential for human development so, um... i think that the first thing we need to do is how, have an awareness the awareness that inside Cuba there's a struggle there's a human str- human rights struggle by a peaceful, unarmed civic movement composed of women and youth and workers and students against a half-century-old dictatorship, which is supported by the most genocidal and, and uh, murderous regimes in the face of the earth.
0: More than than what we see in you mentioned some some other countries there in 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 your discussion uh, on on the relative scale. More than more than the Chinese, more than the Iranians, more than than or are you just ranking them in the same ranks as. Perhaps the Syrians, too.
3: I'd say that we've well, we, we got to look at how they stick to each other. I mean, who, which of the regimes were supporting Syria? Who supported the, the Gaddafi regime in Libya until the end? The Castro brothers. Um, I think that per capita, the, the repression in Cuba is no less uh, than that in China or Syria. It's, uh, in, well, in Syria, there's a civil war going on. There's no civil war going on in Cuba. The, the resistance is, is unarmed. Um, it's, it's a committed nonviolent resistance. But but what you can't deny is that uh, given the size of China and Cuba, the repression in Cuba is is as devastating in civil society as it is in China.
0: Let's go back to what's going on with that particular movement. We 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 know about uh, this amplification of the dissident movement in, in Cuba. The Ladies in White, other human rights groups, have been trying nonviolent means for years to, to make a change. And there is more awareness of these things going on. But is this really a discussion that, that is happening um, outside of the matrix between Havana and Miami? Do we really have a serious discussion about that in Washington or in the rest of the United States?
3: I think we have a discussion about that in Washington. I think we have a discussion of that in the European Union. Um, the ladies in white, Guillermo Fariñas, Payá, well, these are key dissident in Cuba. They've all received the, the Sahara Award, which is presented by the European Parliament. Where sadly enough, we don't see that debate, where there is an attempt at ignoring or at denying the existence of this struggle, is in the Latin American region.
0: So, what would your suggestion be in Latin America? Uh, there certainly has been this trend in the past 10 years. Um, on the left, uh, as you mentioned, Venezuela and, and other countries friendly to Venezuela have certainly taken up the Cuban cause. Are you saying that countries on the right, Colombia, Mexico, others need to step up as a counterbalance? What would be your suggestion?
3: Well, I think they've taken up Castro's cause, definitely not Cuba's cause. Um, I think, that's, I think there's, there's, a, there's a two-pronged answer to that. As long as the Castro regime persists in Latin America, you have an extremist, totalitarian regime with a very well-organized intelligence apparatus, which is actively promoting every authoritarian force they can find in the region. And Cuban ambassadors, they act as, as governors of Nicaragua, of Bolivia, of Ecuador, of Venezuela. They have incredible power over these governments. These as long as they have a Castro regime in power, they will polarize every debate in Latin America to make sure that the extreme is always there. And that extreme will always challenge civil liberties in Latin America. On the other hand, Latin Americans, and this is, this, this is due partly to that great uh, influence of Castro in the region, also to the fact that the U.S. Ha- has not as actively engaged the region as it should in the last years. Uh, you also have that the Latin Americans have not realized, the Latin American leadership has not come to, to the realization that the European leadership reached after World War II, which is to say that as long as there persists one totalitarian state in the region, all the democracies are threatened. And that if they don't defend the democratic values and principles jointly, and they make them a solid standard of the region, then every democracy is is in jeopardy. Twenty years ago, Venezuela had a healthy, consolidated dictatorship. I'm sorry. Twenty years ago, Venezuela had a healthy, consolidated democracy. Today, it has an authoritarian regime. The same thing can be said for Ecuador. The same thing can be said for other countries in the region. Um, who? have drifted from democracy to authoritarianism because of the weakness of the defense of these institutions by the Latin American leadership.
0: If I could bring us back to the island, back to Cuba here for, for a bit, um, certainly the party congress of last year, there have been some reforms that Raul Castro and, and the party, Communist Party have put forward um, dealing with real estate, dealing with, with uh, small businesses and, and other reforms. Um, are those not enough? Do they not show that, that that Cuba is actually going through changes, slow changes, maybe too slow, um,
3: but that there is change afoot? I think there's a lot of spin. Uh, these, these so-called reforms are minimal. The state is still fully in control of the Cuban economy. Uh, none of these changes have yet affected the lives of ordinary Cubans. And Cuba is still very much a one-party totalitarian state. There has been no change.
0: So even some of the openings for dissident groups, for youth groups, for, for others, um how do we account for those things compared to what um Fidel Castro was doing in the eighties and nineties? Would would the same things have
3: existed during those periods? No, we don't have openings towards civil society. We have a regime that has grown weaker uh because of its it's an economic bankruptcy. Uh because Fidel Castro was the center and is the leader of the regime and as his as his faculties have diminished, so, has, so are the regime's abilities diminished. And we also have a population which has steadily and progressively lost its fear. Uh, the growth of the resistance movement in Cuba is not due to an opening by the regime. It's an expression of the progressive loss of fear by the community.
0: Well, with that, thank you very much to Orlando Gutierrez Boronat, the National Secretary of Directorio Democrático Cubano, today on Latin Pulse. Thank you for joining us, sir.
3: Thank you, Rick. I want to finish school school and then go to college to be able to graduate graduate and have the future my parents couldn't have because I know that going to college is the best thing I can do for my future. The words of a parent help to build the future of a child. The Hispanic Scholarship Fund has the information to help your kids go to college. Visit yourwordstoday.org or call 1-877-HSF-8711. Sponsored by the Hispanic Scholarship Fund and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Latin Pulse. It may be spring in the United States, but that means it's fall in Chile. Time to return to school, time to return to the streets, time for the country's student movement to come out of its summer slumbers. Tens of thousands of Chilean students battled police in the capital, Santiago, this week, demanding that free university education is a right for all. Charismatic leaders such as Camila Vallejo, the Vice President of the Student Federation at the University of Chile, are among the vanguard of those calling for education reform and opposing conservative President Sebastián Piñera at every turn. Joining us to explain Chile's student movement is Lisa Llanos of the Center for Democracy in the Americas, a Washington, D.C.-based think tank and lobby group. Welcome to Latin Pulse.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: What's the significance of the student movement in Chile?
2: Well, the student movement is really about Chilean students wanting deep-rooted systemic change in the country's education system. They really see the process of privatization that was initiated under the Pinochet regime as a source for many of the failures that the education system and the challenges um, that the students themselves are facing. So the demands such as um, for free education, um, free higher education, are really also just kind of stemming from the privatization of the universities and all of the effects of that. So to, um, to give an example, in Chile, As the number of students seeking higher education has grown, the private institutions really have taken advantage of that demand for education, and the private universities have really proliferated in the country. Um, The problem with that is that most of those schools are prohibitively expensive to young Chileans. So young students, if they can't get into one of the traditional schools, which are much less expensive, but much harder to get into, they're forced to decide between taking on huge amounts of debt if credit is available to them or their families or to not continuing their education because they simply can't afford to attend one of these private schools. So in their demands, what these Chilean students are asking for is an access for all students to higher education um, regardless of their economic status. Um, And it's a demand that has really gotten a lot of support. They're also... Another big issue that they're looking at is the profiteering of these private universities. So they see these institutions, which are supposed to be non-profit and are legally supposed to be nonprofit, as really kind of using loopholes to make money off of these young students who are forced to uh, spend high tuition at these universities if they want to continue their education.
0: Some sources say that Chile has the most privatized higher education system in all of Latin America, and, and that's what's caused this, that there's a pushback now uh, against not being able to get a, a low-priced or, or free education, unlike some countries like Mexico that have very, very intensive higher education systems that, that uh, people in the middle and lower classes can actually get mm-hmm. access to.
2: I think that's very true, and I think that, again, this goes back to a lot of the reforms that took place under Pinochet. Chile was really um, seen as an experiment in its education system, and the privatization of both higher education and primary and secondary schools was something that started um, in the beginning of the 80s and has really grown to kind of take over especially the higher education in that country.
3: Well...
0: uh since you've brought up uh, Augusto Pinochet at least twice, and some folks say Pinochet or some folks say Pinochet, so I'm never sure on the proper Chilean pronunciation, but, um, and perhaps you can, you can school me on that. A bit too, but um, I'm I'm wondering if this is this movement is a larger movement against some of the traces that are left over in Chilean society and also in the Chilean political system from the Pinochet era of dictatorship.
2: Um, I think that. That has a lot of truth to it. I think that there are a lot of leftover issues that have remained since the country's transition to democracy that have not been addressed. I mean, these protests are extremely significant in that they're the largest um, mobilizations that have taken place in the country since the transition to democracy, and and um, Piñera himself is really the first candidate who has won the presidency really running on a conservative platform. Um, He ran, you know, on this platform that he was a businessman, that his experience in business would really make him the best person to lead Chile and to ensure economic success. Um, And this movement has really been a huge blow to him you see him going from extremely high approval ratings following the rescue of the Chilean minors in 2010 to just a year later with widespread support for the student movement um, these his ratings dropped to below 30 percent which is quite remarkable um, and I think that a large part of that is just a mass support for the students whether it's because they're supporting Chileans are in general supporting their demands Um, or whether they see this reform as an important step that the country has to take to consolidate some of the changes that happened under the Pinochet regime. But um, you see, what's really remarkable about a lot of these protests is that you will see older people, parents, grandparents, along with the students, um, workers from various sectors of the economy supporting the students. And it's really one of the movements I think worldwide that has gained some of the most domestic support, um, and I think that that has a lot of lot to say. I think that Piñera's approval ratings right now are significant, um, and I think that leading up to the twenty thirteen elections, this is going to be the issue that will determine the next president.
0: So this truly is connected in many different ways to the Chilean political system. I'm glad you brought up the ratings because the latest poll ratings that I've seen for the Chilean student movement is that literally 90% of the Chilean populace believes that the students should be out in the streets and should be protesting. And in some ways, people have compared this Chilean student movement to the worldwide Occupy movement. There there are some similarities here and parallels. Um, are the Occupy movements around the world looking at this Chilean experience and and learning lessons from it? Are there wider implications beyond Chile for this particular movement?
2: Definitely. I think we've already begun to see the implications. I mean, if you look at Colombia last year um, in October and November when the government there was trying to Um, promote some reforms that many saw to be similar to the reforms that took place earlier in Chile. Hundreds of thousands of students came out to the street and protested those reforms. And to me, there's no doubt in my mind that those students first of all, were inspired and had been educated by the Chilean students, um, but second of all had really received the message um, that the Chilean students were trying to send about the dangers of privatization of higher education. And in the Occupy uh, movements, especially in the United States, um, and when you see these young college-age people who've taken on huge amounts of debt um, and whose situations in many ways parallel those of the young uh, Chilean students who are protesting now. Um, I think that this movement has broad implications for education systems throughout the world and especially about how countries... Um, decide to educate the lower middle classes, um, who are often the people who end up taking on these huge amounts of debt, or deciding not to continue their studies.
0: So are there lessons then, too, from the Chilean student movement to us here in the United States?
2: Well, I mean, I think the biggest lesson right now is that, so far, Piñera has, um, while he's proposed several changes. Um, None of them have been accepted by the student movement. Um, They call his proposals more band-aid solutions, for example, um, increasing public, to some level increasing public support or lowering debt. Um, His most recent um, proposal was a tax overhaul that he would hope would uh, uh, raise enough funds to contribute to the education system, but they have not achieved the systemic change that they're looking for. Um, There are not any proposals on the table to um, really address the issues of the privatization of the universities, of the high costs, of the barriers uh, that many people are facing to continuing their education, um, and to the general idea of the the profiteering of these um, private universities. Those are the issues that I think are for the Chilean students at the core of their demands, and they're the ones that haven't been addressed. And I think that it's been clear with the protest this week that the students can um, continue to demand these things, but as is the case with many student movements, um, governments can see that it's sometimes beneficial to try to wait the students out. Um, It's a highly transitional movement. People are graduating. um, People's priorities change. People are in school for an average of about four to five years. So it'll be really interesting to see how the student movement starts up again this year and if it's able to be consistent, what they will really achieve um, in the area of systemic change. A lot of the demands are very far to the left. Um, I think that this is, that could largely be in response to what the students see as an education system that currently is very far to the right um, and to the right of many education systems in the region, um, as you had mentioned before, like Mexico and Argentina. Um, so though their demands might be seen as somewhat radical um, and leftist, I think that from the situation that the education system is at right now in Chile, there's not much movement that can be made towards the right, and there's a huge demand of mo- some movement towards the left. Um, so perhaps some conclusion of this would bring us an education system in Chile that is somewhat more towards the center.
0: Well, thank you for joining us today. Lisa Yanos of the Center for Democracy in the Americas. Join us today via Skype on Latin Pulse. Thank you. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to comment on this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or on Facebook, or you can write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For social producer, Vanessa jesus Gonzati and announcer, Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucho nosotros, Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication with the support of Link TV, theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2012, Las Rocas Productions.